People are stupid. Live to tape. Welcome to Millennial 538. Laura, Pam, and I are here this week. Hey, y'all. Hey, happy Sunday. Hello. Happy Sunday. Not so happy for somebody nearby. Some sirens are going by <laughs> as I try to record. Can you please shut up? I don't care about that emergency. Did you two see uh, this Hunger Games prequel? I don't think we've spoken about this yet. Yeah, I saw it because you told me about it. <laughs> oh, you didn't know about it at no. all? It was announced like in July or something. Yeah, I was... I 100% forgot this Yeah, was I was never a huge Hunger Games fan, so I think it was pretty easy for me to miss this. But are people excited? Like, what's the... Uh, yeah, I think so. You weren't a huge fan? You're not a huge fan of dystopias? Uh, I have an unpopular opinion about Hunger Games, and I don't know if I want to express it here because I'm going to upset people. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, maybe we don't want to hear this right now. <laughs> So the book is called The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Some people are saying it reminds them of A Song of Ice and Fire, the Game of Thrones title. And it's going to be out in May 2020. This is by Suzanne Collins. It takes place around the 10th Hunger Games. And the cover was also revealed. A lot of people are actually very excited for this. And Lionsgate has already said, yeah, we're, we're working on a movie. <laughs> Get ready. Of course they are. It's also not clear if this is going to be a trilogy or what. I don't know if this is just going to be one book. But Pam, how do you feel about this? Because you were a big Hunger Games fan, right? Yeah, I really enjoyed the Hunger Games. I think that, like you guys said, it's not surprising that Lionsgate is already all over this in terms of uh, turning it into an adaptation. And I think that enough time has passed that we've all kind of forgotten how fatiguing it was to wait for the second part of Mockingjay, which we did not need. But... The books were always pretty enjoyable, in my opinion. And I, I I think that this is supposed to be maybe around the time that Mags won. Is that correct? Is that what we were speculating when this news first it, broke it was, a few months ago? Mags was in the 11th Hunger Games. This one's going to take place during the 10th. So maybe we'll get a bit of her, but it might not follow her. Interesting. Yeah. And Suzanne Collins said, I wanted to explore the state of nature, who we are, and what we perceive is required for our survival. The Reconstruction period, 10 years after the war, commonly referred to as the Dark Days, as the country of Pan Am struggles back to its feet, provides fertile ground for characters to grapple with these questions and thereby define their views of humanity. Yeah. Laura, briefly, what is your problem with The Hunger Games? I I don't want to be that person who shits on something that other people like. So <laughs> is it just the subject matter? No, um the subject matter I don't mind. I guess I just personally felt like it was overhyped. That's all. I just don't like it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Not everybody loved it. And th the thing now, so Divergent came along after The Hunger Games. It was another dystopian series. And people were like, well, I feel like we're living through one, so we don't need to read about dystopias. And now dystopias are basically dead in the YA industry. Like, nobody cares about them anymore. And if another one came along, <laughs> it would just sputter out. Nobody wants to read that depressing stuff. I mean, we stuff. have Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, true. But I've heard and that... that is very on the nose. And it's still a dystopian novel. I've heard the latest season isn't very good. 
But she's got the book coming out. Also, I I always feel the need to challenge this perspective of like, I feel like we're living in a dystopia, so I don't want to read about one. It's not always like art and literature's job to make you feel good about yourself. Its job is to make you think and ask questions and draw comparisons between the real world and what that art is reflecting about it. So I always find myself getting frustrated when people are like, oh, I don't want to read that. It makes me feel shitty or like, oh, I don't want to read that. Um, you know, it it's too it's too similar to what's going on right now. It's like, well, maybe that's exactly the reason that you should give it a shot, you know, and I, I yeah. think that goes into Joker, right? <laughs> we all saw Joker. Yeah, it does. You, actually, I didn't because I don't want to be depressed. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fair. What did you two? I just completely went against what Laura just said. Yeah, you did. Not learning from you, Laura. What did you two think? I loved it. I thought it was a little slow. It definitely in the, I would say like middle section, it did feel a tad slow, I would say with some of the development. And then the end was like over in a flash. So I I, I do agree with you there. I liked Joaquin Phoenix. I thought his performance was outstanding. And I liked that the movie didn't shy away from showing us a pretty uncomfortable reflection about some societal realities um, that we encounter all the time. And I walked out of the movie and I was like, yep, I feel like a lot of the reaction to this has been overblown because... It got all this hype through media outlets that really wanted it to be something that I don't think it is. And now I feel like I'm seeing a lot of um, like checkmark verified people on Twitter really having to backpedal on some of their preconceived notions of what this movie was that they had before they even saw it. You know, so I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was... It was disturbing. I was on the edge of my seat. I was very uncomfortable <laughs> the entire time, but I thought it was really well done. You're sick. Why? Pam, but you had extra security at your theater, right? Yes, I did. So, and also I'm kind of in a smaller city right now, not in a major city. So I was pretty surprised that I saw so much security. I went at, for constant, for context, I went at like 1030 in the morning which was the basically the first showing of the day. And they had a security guard posted right at the entrance near the ticket counter. And then there was also a security guard in the theater with us. But I'm not sure if he was there the whole time because, you know, once the movie starts, I'm not really focusing on the guy in the corner right. that's doing his job. So it's possible yeah. that maybe he he was just there to patrol a block because they had them starting within a half hour of each other, even from um, that early on. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how many guards they had specifically, but it was more than usual. He probably was there at the beginning to scare people, let them know, hey, this mall cop is here. So don't think of doing anything <laughs> stupid or I'm going to run back in here after you've already shot 20 people and I'm going to taser you. Right. Yeah, that that does seem like overkill, especially for a... It was a Friday morning, right? A Friday, yeah, Friday morning. Friday morning, security guard. 
mm-hmm. in the suburbs of San Francisco. Yeah, we <laughs> exactly. We also had security at our theater, and it yeah. was weird because we went and saw a four o'clock showing. Um, so ours wasn't terribly packed. But by the time we were leaving and it was starting to get dark outside, they had more security and they were checking people's bags as they came in. And I was like, now, wait a second. At four o'clock, I watched a dude walk into this theater with a fucking backpack and nobody said anything. And now you're checking ladies' purses and dudes' backpacks. And I was just like, okay. See, that this is my whole problem with security checks at theaters is that it's not even across the board. And I I would be fine if it were, because I am definitely a nervous person. And I think about stuff like that. I think a lot of us do now, like you, you kind of just check where the yeah the nearest exit is. And like, you kind of just think, oh, like, if this happened, what would I do? It's not good for my mental state at all. But, um, but yeah, I just, I, I would be fine if they wanted to do that all the time, but deciding that it's more likely to happen after seven versus before, it's kind of a little messed up if you think about yeah. it, because it could really happen at any time. And that's what we, uh, the reality that we're living in is that it doesn't, um, you know, these things are not, the people that are doing these things don't discriminate based on the time. No, that's not true. Shooters don't get out of bed till like five o'clock on a weeknight. <laughs> No, you're right, though. If somebody were to, you know, do one of these terrible things, they would probably think about when they have the best chance to get through to avoid security. I I hate to say this because it's really grim, but more about the number, like the kill count. And so there are more people at night. But but the point is, is that if they're really trying to deter, then they should be there all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Consistency. It's funny, like the, the movie theaters. I don't know if they do this anymore. But they always say, identify the exits before the movie starts, right? And that used to be in case of a fire. But now we're we're thinking about that in case of a shooting. I, I'm not scared about a fire breaking out. Right. <laughs> I remember actually after the Aurora shooting, uh, when The Dark Knight came out, AMC changed their pre-show like safety chat where it was like, and in case of suspicious figures or in case a monster comes in or some shit like that, like basically a watered down simulation of what would happen if an active shooter situation broke out in the theater. It's like, move far away. <laughs> like, this is yeah. weird. <laughs> Keep an eye out for people with bad haircuts walking into this theater by themselves. I do agree, Andrew. I think you're on to something here. The bad haircut theory? Yeah. No, absolutely. Look at all these shooters. Bad haircuts. Every single one of them. On today's show, we are going to offer some impeachment updates, some thoughts on online privacy, because there's some news there out of our government. We're also going to play Surprise Bitch. And this week, we'll kick off a series of Would You Rather questions that Laura discovered. And we were sorting through these and we were like, oh, these are fun. Let's have fun uh, throughout the month of October with these questions. First, little Patreon update. The handwritten letters have gone out to all of our bays. I'm really excited about this. This project, it was a it was a work of love, and it took a lot of time, but it was a very personal project. And to everybody who was eligible for the handwritten letter, we hope you receive it. Feel free to share it on social media, in the Facebook group, via email with us, wherever you want. And if you don't mind, we'll share the letter with listeners. 
it was really fun. Um, I had such a good time trying to customize each letter. Um, mm-hmm. In retrospect, this sounds weird, but I would like look through the Facebook group and see if I could find the people I was writing to and then just like try to see what they were up to so I could reference it in the letter. Um, and that was really fun to be able to yeah. have a dialogue with people about things going on in their lives. And it was really cool because I got to learn more about our audience, which was a lot of fun for me. Pam, I love you, but I think your letters will be the hardest for people to read. I know. it's the, I mean, like, that's just my handwriting. I can't really change it. Yeah. But I, I agree. And I was worried about this because while it looks pretty, it's also in cursive. So right. I'm sorry. It's legible. Tweet at me. I will translate as best I can. I, I know I'll be able to translate. It's but. legible for sure. It's just you have to really focus on it, I feel. <laughs> that's the price you pay for something beautiful. And Laura, I love how you added words to the various um, pieces of our album art on the letters. That was really clever. Yes, I annotated the album art on several letters. (laughs) Also, we're excited to announce we want to do another confessional palooza. You all might remember that a year or two ago, we spent basically an entire episode reading confessionals. We would love for you to submit your confessionals now. We want everybody to just confess their deepest, darkest secrets. The only rule, well, don't confess to killing somebody. That would uh, definitely disturb us. Make sure these are truthful. Please do not make anything up. We are assuming you all are being honest with us, and we want you to be honest. But don't go so far as to make stories up just so we can you know, be fooled on air. That's lame. So head over to millennialshow.com. You can use the confessional form right there at the top of the website. And your confessional will be submitted anonymously. We won't have your IP address. We won't have your name, your email, unless you share it with us. You can if you want. We will still keep it anonymous if you request we do so. But again, millennialshow.com. Click on confessional at the top and we will read all of your confessionals on next week's episode. Maybe we can frame it around the world is ending due to this impeachment inquiry. So just get stuff off your chest. Yeah, that's what we did when we did our last confessional palooza. It was right before Trump took office. And we were like, since we're all going to die, we might as well just come clean. Well, speaking of sharing, one of our favorite things to hear from our listeners is how they found the show. And it's really awesome to hear when someone was introduced to Millennial through a friend. So now through Halloween, we want to give some shout outs on the show to our listeners who are spreading awareness by word of mouth. Introduce a friend to Millennial and take a selfie together with some sort of proof that you're listening, like enjoying your listening experience together. Then share and tag Millennial Show on social and we'll give you and your friend a shout out here live on the air. And if you're a patron, we'll also give you a month of free Patreon access. So tell your friends, tell everyone. This week's episode is brought to you by Honey. Have you ever bought something online and then you find out you could have gotten it for less? It's worse than the Joker disturbing the shit out of you. Not to mention, once that happens, you feel like you could be overpaying every time you shop. It's kind of scary. Luckily, we all use Honey here on the show. It's the free browser extension that saves you time and money when shopping online. Honey scans the internet for coupon codes and other discounts. Then, like magic, it automatically applies the one with the biggest savings to your cart at checkout. It's truly that easy. 
It knows about every coupon code, sale, or discount at over 20,000 sites like Amazon, Macy's, J. Crew, Domino's, Sephora, Target, and more. The sky is the limit. I love saving money with Honey because I don't have to do anything. I'm using the sites I already know and love, but having Honey automatically scans for great deals and just pops them right in. Saves me money. I didn't have to do anything. I mentioned Domino's, the Sims Fincutter household is most loyal to Domino's Pizza, and Honey searches through all their coupon codes for me to find one that works especially for our order. Then I can rest easy knowing I got the best price possible on that delicious handmade pan with pepperoni. Mm-mm. Listen, there's really no reason not to use Honey. It's free to use and installs on your computer in just two clicks. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash M-I-L-L. Again, that's joinhoney.com slash M-I-L-L. This is absolutely free. This is this is one of those rare products that will actually not cost you anything and just keep money in your pocket. So again, joinhoney.com slash M-I-L-L. And thank you, Honey, for making online shopping a little easier on my wallet. Little politics news now. Bernie Sanders ended up having a heart attack last week. We found this out after he got two stents put in his uh, in an artery after feeling unwell in Vegas. I'm wondering if we think he should step down. I already felt like he should step down independent of this. Um, Ouch. This health. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I just don't find him to be a helpful figure at this point. But I don't think that this should be the reason. Um, The reason for that is that we have numerous examples of people who ended up being in office who had previous heart trouble, like think of Dick Cheney, who had like five heart attacks before he became vice president. And even George W. Bush had a heart attack before he ran for president. So there's history of that. I will say with Bernie's age, it does make it very concerning. What pisses me off here, though, is that people were flipping the fuck out about Hillary Clinton having pneumonia. And all I see now is just like, oh, get well, Bernie, keep fighting for us. And I'm like, he's like 80 and he just had a heart attack. Maybe give him a break. My concern is it's still very early in the campaign. We have a year to go. That means a year of him traveling all around the country nonstop. And we can't risk him getting the nomination. And then, God forbid, something serious happens to him. We would be fucked. And you mentioned that issue with Hillary in 2016. That was, I thought, really bad for Hillary's campaign. That scared me because there was also video of her falling. In moments like that, Trump looks tough and strong and unbreakable and like he can survive four years in office. And that's important. People who are on the fence won't want to vote for someone who's showing signs of physical weakness when half of Trump's campaign is being an unbreakable tough guy. Bernie has a long way to go until the election. And what if something else happens when he's made it further down this campaign road? Hypothetically, what does happen if you know, say a a nominee falls ill and can then no longer rally for votes. You mean like after they've gotten the party nomination? Yeah, like say it's down to Bernie and, and Trump, mm-hmm. right? Those are 
are two realistic choices. It would be up to the party at that point to nominate somebody else. My guess is they would probably go with whoever the VP nominee oh, was. Yeah. Um, but I, I believe they're free to go back to the drawing board, as it were. So it's out of the hands of the people then? Yeah. And I, and I mean, technically, historically, not party nominations weren't in the hands of the people. Up until very recently, party nominations were decided behind closed doors. And we only got things like caucuses and primaries in like, I want to say the 60s. It's really not been mm. that long that we've been doing it that way. So mm. theoretically, if the Democratic or Republican parties wanted to, they could do that. People wouldn't like it. And it would probably cause a schism. But they could do it. Bernie is currently resting at his home in Vermont. And we don't know yet when he's going to return to the campaign trail. But they have said he will be at the debate on October 15th. So we'll see if he starts campaigning before then or he's gonna rest for a while longer but yeah it's, it's just not even around just, the corner yeah it's I only hope about he doesn't a week outdo away. himself that's scary yeah yeah and look no matter what age you are traveling all over the country nonstop is exhausting i don't know about you two but when i take a single trip <laughs> somewhere else I'm exhausted at the end of the day. I cannot imagine being one of these candidates running around running around multiple cities in a single day. It sounds absolutely exhausting. Yeah, I agree. Even when I'm just like traveling for work and yeah. I might be going to one or two different cities, I come home and I'm just like, I can't see anybody. I just want to lay in my bed and recharge. <laughs> right. Well, speaking of something we can't sleep off, I wanted to provide an impeachment update because, as we know, this impeachment inquiry is moving really quickly. So it feels like from one week to the next, about 10 different things happen. And uh, we just want to make sure that we're keeping track of it here. But we don't want to like dwell on it too much either because it's exhausting and we don't want to have heart attacks either. Um, so just to give you a quick rundown, the White House was subpoenaed on Friday for a number of items related to Trump's July 25th call to President Zelensky of Ukraine, um, as well as the administration holding up foreign aid to Ukraine and Rudy Giuliani's role in pressuring Ukraine to investigate Joe and Hunter Biden. Uh, Mike Pence may also be the subject of a subpoena if he does not provide documents requested by October 15th. So it turns out that he traveled to Ukraine in Trump's stead when Trump stayed home to monitor Hurricane Dorian. So because he met with Zelensky one on one, he is now the subject of some investigation. Uh, Trump and the White House are also being... <laughs> unhelpful when it comes to handing over the requested documents what? saying that yeah saying that they're not going to supply them until the house votes to formally open an impeachment inquiry and they have enough votes so what are they waiting for really yeah i mean i i get it i get that they want to have all their ducks in a row but it is a good question um this was the thing that had me just like 
what the fucking all over the place. So secretary, <laughs> what the fucking yeah. all over the place. Secretary of State Pompeo missed a subpoena deadline on Friday. This is like the hallmark of this administration. They think subpoenas are optional. Yeah, really awful. <laughs> yeah. So he at first was being really cagey about whether or not he was on that July 25th call with President Zelensky. Well, reporting came out last Monday saying that he was and having evidence to substantiate that. Then in a number of interviews where he was asked about it, he just deflected until finally on Wednesday, he couldn't anymore. And he admitted that, yes, he was on the call. So um, the House Oversight Foreign Affairs and Intelligence Committees have been trying to get Pompeo to comply with a request for documentation about that phone call since September 9th. So before the impeachment inquiry was even announced, they've been trying to get him to comply with this and he won't. And now he's missed this deadline. And then he was saying stuff like, oh, well, we're not going to be able to let uh, Pentagon officials testify. It's too much too soon. Again, just another example of this administration treating legalities like (laughs) they're optional. Yeah. Well, they're testing the boundaries and they're realizing that they can step over them and get away with it. Well, that's the thing is like they've done this before. Multiple, There have been multiple examples over the last couple of years of people just thinking that they can decide whether or not they're going to comply with a subpoena. Mm-hmm. Like, do you remember that whole thing with Hope Hicks? Yeah. I was so annoyed at the New York Times because they published this op-ed that was like Hope's Choice, like it was some Lifetime movie. (laughs) And I'm like, no, it's not a choice. It's a fucking subpoena. (laughs) So annoying. And speaking of the New York Times. This is why you stick with C-SPAN. Yes. Oh, my God. They're the only ones you can rely on anymore. (laughs) Um, But speaking of the New York Times, they also reported on Friday that there may be a second whistleblower. So this person has more direct knowledge of the president's activities when it comes to Ukraine. And it's sounding like this person's direct knowledge was what the first whistleblower complaint was about. So there's a possibility that somebody who was directly who was a direct witness to that behavior may be filing a complaint as well, which would be interesting because the White House's party line at this point is that we can't consider the whistleblower complaint credible because the whistleblower wasn't a direct witness Mm -hmm. and that everything they're reporting was like hearsay, basically. Well, and Trump is already trying to get out of ahead of this second whistleblower saying they're benching the first one because he just heard hearsay. Now the second one just has secondhand information again, which is not true if these reports are to be believed. Exactly. Firsthand. Well, and also the the thing that was really interesting, and I think everybody should read this because uh, there's no room for interpretation here. House Dems released a transcript of uh, ambassadors Volker and Sondland um, of their text messages. And it pretty clearly spells out the quid pro quo that played out against Ukraine in terms of receiving their foreign aid in exchange for investigating the Bidens. Mm -hmm. It's pretty, it's pretty damning. Like when you read this, they're literally back and forth, like talking about this until Sondland's like, let's not talk about this here. Let's get on the phone. (laughs) 
Sounds like they could have used some end-to-end encryption, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Oh, yeah. What what a perfect segue. Indeed. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the latest. And of course, Trump has been losing his mind over the last few days. His Twitter's been insane. I don't even want to talk about it here because it's just distraction fodder. Um, but the President of the United States is melting down. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Well, the tweets hitting Mitt Romney made me pretty sick. Yeah. Trying to find them. He just tweets so much now. It's like unbelievable. Anytime I see all caps, I just kind of ignore it because I know that it's, <laughs> you know, a false declaration. Do you follow him on Twitter? Does anyone here follow him on Twitter? No, nope. I don't even think we need to. <laughs> it just like if he, between like the retweets and the Twitter moments, I can see what I need to see. The benefit, I don't follow him currently. I've gone back and forth on this issue. But the benefit of following him is that you get to see his mistakes as soon as they happen. Because sometimes they'll delete the tweets. For example, this idiot. How they weren't allowed to do that? Uh, maybe a court said that. But, you know, they're also ignoring subpoenas. So that's true. What matters anymore? He had tweeted. Now the press is trying to sell the fact that I wanted a moat stuffed with alligators and snakes. But he spelled moat, moot, M-O-O-T. <laughs> Fucking idiot. <laughs> and then that tweet got deleted and they replaced it. But that's the benefit of following him. You get to see these mistakes as they happen. But the Mitt Romney tweet, he called Mitt Romney a pompous ass. And he put ass in quote marks. Is that supposed to make ass less offensive yeah i'm not even sure i know what the intention was there (laughs) mitt romney had said that what trump did was wrong in regards to ukraine yeah but i when you put something in quotation marks like that it's isn't it intended to imply that they're not really like today yeah (laughs) but i think that's an old person thing because my um (laughs) I was no, I'm serious because we, my best friend, uh, her grandfather sadly passed away. And so we were looking through uh, some a stack of papers because you're we trying to find old cards that he had written her. And he had signed all of them, love grandpa, but grandpa was in quotation marks. And we were laughing over that because we were like, oh, is he not really your grandpa? Because it's like, quote, grandpa. <laughs> She's like, I don't know. She goes, sometimes love is also in quotation. She goes, I don't know why he does that, but he's always done that. And I I just found it so funny. And then in, in contrast, like, along the same vein, now it's kind of like happening on Twitter. So I, I, I'm convinced that it's an old person thing. I, I think you're right. I think Trump also tries to cover his bases by putting it in quotes. He might be able to say later, oh, I didn't really mean ass. I meant like, a different version of ass. Like a donkey? I don't know. Con- like convenient. a donkey. He looks like a donkey, doesn't he? Something else that Trump does that I've noticed that I think is also a more antiquated practice is randomly capitalizing words to give emphasis. Mm-hmm. And that was actually a thing that, I mean, if you go back into like medieval literature, they did that kind of thing back then. And I think some of that might have carried over and some older generations might still practice it. So that might explain where it comes from. 
that's also been um like uh reappropriated by the younger generation like mm-hmm. if you look at the way that they type and in order to make sure that the point that they're trying to make gets across on twitter for example you see a lot of that too like opinions will be capital capitalized just the o because it's it's meant to emphasize that they have a point to make so mm-hmm. uh, but it is interesting to see how like across generations it's used way differently pam do you have another a lighter story for us Oh, I don't know if it's any lighter, but it will kind of change the subject a bit. Um, this is a a topic I've wanted to discuss for a while on this show, and I didn't really know how to bring it up, but I found a great opportunity to do it this week because news is slow, but also because there was a video that was kind of trending on YouTube that came out earlier last week called Woke Disney by Lindsay Ellis and... It kind of dealt with the same subject matter. So I thought that since maybe some of you might have seen that, given that it has about a million views, be a good time to bring it into the fold of this show. So basically what I wanted to talk about was um, the practice of studios like Disney uh, choosing to kind of alter their racist past by either omitting scenes in re-released versions of old movies or even through remakes by just completely, you know, brushing those away and and not even really including mentions of problematic pasts in those movies. Um, And I wanted to actually bring this up, like I said earlier, because back in April, uh, it was announced that while Disney Plus is launching next month and is going to feature almost every Disney title under the sun that you can think of, one movie that is not going to be on the platform is Song of the South, which some of you might not even be familiar with. But if you've been to Disneyland or Disney World, you'll definitely be familiar with Splash Mountain, which is actually inspired by the animated sequences in Song of the South. And the reason that Song of the South has actually never been released in any video format uh, by Disney in the United States is because it's super racist in its portrayal of African Americans. Um, and it takes place in the Reconstruction era, and there's a lot of, you know, very caricature descriptions of basically every African-American in this movie, and they've never released it for that reason, and Iger, who is the CEO of Disney, Bob Iger, he's always said that it's because, quote, it wouldn't necessarily sit right or feel right with a number of people today. And it wouldn't be in the best interest of Disney shareholders to bring it back, even though there would be some financial gain. But they have re-released the movie in theaters. And most recently, they actually did so in 1986 to coincide with the film's 40th anniversary and also to promote the opening of Splash Mountain at both parks. <laughs> so it it's just such a funny situation. And um, there's been other instances. Disney's like no stranger to kind of trying to brush under the rug the way that they used to portray people of color in their movies. Uh, Dumbo is another really good recent example of this. In the remake, there's no mention or word of any of the racist scenes that were found in the animated version of the film. And again, when you watch this movie on Disney+, Plus, you actually won't even see scenes featuring the character of Jim Crow, who is an actual crow they decided to name Jim when this movie came out in the 1940s. Uh, because, you know, that's super racist too. It's just a blatant reference to the caricature that was found in the minstrel shows and in 
blackface entertainment. So I don't know. This has never really sat right with me, but I do feel like it's a very interesting conversation to have. And I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on whether you feel like, um, you know, Disney is kind of doing a disservice by just completely trying to erase stuff like this from existence, especially now that it's more frequent to see, you know, movies coming out of the vault. That's kind of when you start to see these movies getting edited and problematic scenes kind of just conveniently disappearing. No, it's the, it's the right decision, but I think they should still be accessible somewhere. Can they have like an offensive area of Disney plus (laughs) just to keep it there for, uh, you know, old times sake. I think from a historical perspective, it's important for song of the South and Dumbo in its original form to exist. So you understand where we were at the time as a society people know this stuff is out there disney now knows it it hasn't aged well so we're all in agreement there i think the big question is what to do with this stuff and i don't think it should necessarily be hidden away maybe there should be a message at the beginning being like hey we don't stand by some of the stuff we did back in the the 1940s so we're sorry but for history's sake Here is the original version of this now controversial film. And I think also they're in a good position because obviously nobody who works at Disney now worked on these things. (laughs) Like, it's not like these were decisions made by the current CEO of Disney, right? But I think it would be a good decision to approach it with more of an academic perspective. Like, maybe they could come out with some kind of documentary about like the history of disney and it doesn't just have to cover these problematic things it can cover a wide range of topics but they could certainly focus on their problematic history and get the takes of people who currently work there now on these Mm -hmm. things and why it's been such a hard line to walk between not wanting to be offensive and hurtful, but at the same time, not wanting to forget what happened in the past. Because ultimately, if you forget what happened in the past, you're going to allow it to happen again. It's interesting, Andrew, that you brought up the idea of running these movies in their original form with disclaimers, because that's actually what WB did when they re-released uh, golden collections of the Looney Tunes cartoons, which also have had very problematic past when you look at stuff that came mm. out in the 30s and the 40s, which were a product of their time, but we understand now is is not okay to do anymore. And they actually enlisted the help of Whoopi Goldberg to run the disclaimer, I think in volume three of their golden collection of cartoons. And so <laughs> at the beginning of every disc, she reads out this disclaimer and talks about how while the cartoons are very treasured, they also reflect um, a period in American history where it was okay to make racially insensitive jokes and that we know better now, but that doesn't mean that we should completely erase them from existence. Yeah. So I do think there's something to be said about doing it that way, because also in erasing um you know, scenes or even whole movies from being accessible, you're also kind of um, erasing the actor's parts. So like, for example, going back to Song of the South, the 
man who played Uncle Remus uh, sings Zippity Doodah, which is, you know, the biggest song that came out of this movie, is still an iconic Disney song, went on to win an Oscar. But a lot of people don't know that unless you're a huge Disney head or you're really into movies and stuff like that. So I I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot of different layers to this. And I don't really know where I sit with it personally. But it's always been something that I've been, uh, I don't know, it's never really sat right with me either way. You also mentioned that Disney recently cut out a blooper reel moment in Toy Story 2 during the credits where Stinky Pete is kind of hitting on two Barbie dolls. And they took it out of the airing of Toy Story 2 on, I guess, Freeform and maybe other television channels. Maybe did they edit it out of the actual movie too? Like if you buy it from iTunes right now, do you still see that? I wonder. I believe they quietly got rid of it. Okay. In the yeah, release. That's, that's pretty significant because Toy Story Two is what, fifteen years old? Right. A lot of people who worked at Disney, Laura's point about, you know, all these people who worked on Song of the South are no longer there. Well, a lot of people who worked on Toy Story 2 are probably still there. So um, that's a good example of Disney realizing, hey, this has not aged well in light of the Me Too movement, so we should take that out. And you know what? It was just something in the credits. Kind, It was a funny scene because there was all these different bloopers. Woody like turns around Stinky Pete's box and he finds him with two, two Barbie dolls in there. And yeah, it hasn't aged well and it's probably uncomfortable to watch now. So I don't blame Disney for taking it out. And like I said, that's in the credits. So I don't think that really matters as much. But if they were to take something out of the actual film, remove something from the actual story, that would have been a pretty big deal. But that still should be accessible somewhere so people know where Hollywood was at the time. Yeah. And I do kind of feel like, you know, nowadays we have the internet, right? So there's no reason why you can't make a subsection on websites, that mm-hmm. kind of informs people that maybe don't know before you just decide to erase the whole thing. But I think back before the internet was as prevalent, I, I do kind of agree that it made sense, especially because in light of, you know, uh, Hollywood in general's racist past, um, it was probably helpful, for example, to get rid of scenes, say, even like in terms of portrayals of Native Americans with Tonto speak, because it helps the public understand that normalizing that caricature of this specific group of people is not okay. But now that we know better, and we're getting into the realm of more representation in Hollywood, and really trying to give people of color these deeper stories that go past um, stereotypes, I feel like we're at a point where we don't need to do this for people to understand that it's wrong, even though it exists. Yeah, what's it's funny, this whole conversation reminds me of uh, when I was a kid, I had a Disney sing-along tape. And it was basically just footage of all the theme park rides set to sing-along songs with the lyrics on the screen. And they had zippity doo as one of the songs. And this was in the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. So a few years after, I, I guess their most recent... Um, commemorative re-release in theaters um after which they decided oh maybe we we shouldn't do this anymore but it was like well since we're not showing footage from the actual movie it's okay i guess <laughs> well yeah because the splash mountain ride still has the zippity doodah song yeah at the end 
and it's a fun moment. You're like, yay, we just went down the mountain. <laughs> now we're wet and singing zippity doo from a racist movie. Hooray. And all those characters, too, like, um, you know, the whole movie centers around uh, Uncle Remus's stories. That's the guy's main, uh, the name of the main character. And mm. he talks about Br'er Rabbit. So all of that stuff in the ride definitely exists in Song of the South. It's just completely taken out of context for us, even though... If you go to the parks, it's still there. It's just kind of like nobody bothers to, you know, look into why it happens that way. Like, you don't really question too much when you're on vacation. I would just rather, I'd rather see Disney just be transparent here and use it as a teaching moment, you know, rather than try to hide it away and pretend it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But I'll be interested now that, you know... This story about Disney Plus omitting, like, completely just not putting Song of the South on its platform, but also deciding to release an altered version of Dumbo, it has me kind of wondering what else they're going to alter in old Disney movies. Because um, the other example of, of a scene that's very inherently racist from an old Disney movie is the whole um, what makes the Red Man Red sequence in Peter Pan. So... I I will be kind of interested as I go through kind of Disney's back catalog on the platform next month to see what else they decide to keep in versus what they decide to take out. Yeah. Because it's like, how do you weigh what's what's more racist than what what is it? You know, how do you weigh that out? I'm also curious about um, the Siamese cats from Lady and the Tramp. That's a good one, too. And just thinking about how the live action movie is coming. I'm like, what are they going to do there? (laughs) Exactly. Like, I'm not saying that, like, the live-action Dumbo should have had um, minstrel-like crows. No, of course not. But I do kind of feel that, you know, a lot of these remakes present a very convenient opportunity for Disney to introduce a new generation of kids to an old movie while also kind of conveniently sweeping under the rug the way they chose to portray certain people. Yeah. Time now for a word from our second sponsor of the week, Away. If you're looking to get out of town before you spend the rest of your life addicted to Disney+, Plus, may I recommend my favorite luggage company? Away is one of those sponsors who I was using long before they sponsored us. I've been a fan for a long time. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. They started with the Away suitcase, which has a lightweight and durable shell that's made to last for a lifetime of travel. It's got USB ports built in for on-the-go charging. It has 360-degree spinner wheels. It's got compression pads to help you pack more. And everything they make comes with a 100-day trial. Those features are all the reasons why I love my Away suitcase. The compression straps are a game changer for overpackers, meaning everyone. And between its lightweight and its set of four wheels, it's a breeze to push beside you. Then those USB ports are a dream for traveling. When we're traveling, we are absolutely using our phones more as we try to kill time. And those USB chargers are there for you so you can continue listening to your podcasts and scrolling through social media and doing whatever else you're doing without losing battery. Plus, it's always great to have that backup for any unforeseen delays. And God knows that happens while we travel. 
And no matter how much you travel, you can rest easy knowing that Away has your back. In addition to that 100-day trial, if any part of your suitcase breaks, Away's customer service team will arrange to have it fixed or replaced ASAP. So they have got you covered. That means you buy one Away suitcase and you're good for life. Oh, I just love that. This is this is a wise purchase. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash M-I-L-L and use promo code M-I-L-L at checkout. Again, for $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash M-I-L-L and use promo code M-I-L-L during checkout. You're going to love your Away suitcase. I know I do. I feel great walking around with that. And I mentioned Away has your back. I mean, they literally have your back because those four 360 degree spinner wheels let your suitcase move smoothly through the airport. You're not dragging it behind you. And so your back will not be aching as you're pulling it. I have a bad back. So that's important to me. (laughs) So let's talk about one more story today. This concerns the Justice Department. They have renewed their fight for access to encrypted communications, arguing that it is a vital crime fighting tool, even as tech companies and advocates have countered that it will threaten individual privacy. Attorney General Bill Barr took aim at Facebook's plan to make WhatsApp and its other messaging services more secure, pressing Mark Zuckerberg to create a loophole to that goal of full encryption. The Justice Department said that investigators need lawful access to encrypted communications to fight terrorism, organized crime, and child pornography. We had actually spoken about Facebook earlier this year wanting to create a more private environment. Because that's what people want these days. Facebook used to be about sharing publicly. Oh, share everything with your friends. Open world, open communication. You want everybody to know everything. But that's changed now. People just want those one-on-one conversations or those small group conversations. And they want their information locked down. So one step here would be to offer end-to-end encryption. This means when I send a message to Laura through, let's say, WhatsApp, the message gets coded into a code that only Laura's account can unlock. So when I send that message, Bill Barr can't intercept that message and read what I just told her. It's too bad for him because I know he really wants to see your dick pics. Exactly, exactly. As do you. And that's why we communicate on WhatsApp. (laughs) WhatsApp is regarded as the number one way to talk to people securely Facebook owns WhatsApp. The Justice Department and two other countries, by the way, they teamed up with our Justice Department to reach out to Facebook. They want a backdoor so that they can access these conversations. The problem is once you create that backdoor, hackers can get into it. So I want to know how you two, where you two stand on this issue. Do you think the government should have a backdoor or should Facebook lock WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, Instagram down? Absolutely not. Um, And we actually talked about this when Obama was still in office after the horrible uh, San Bernardino mass shooting. Uh, The Obama administration and the FBI were really pushing Apple to create a backdoor into the iPhone. Yeah. And I was against it then. I think it's bullshit. Yeah, this is actually one of those issues that isn't just a Republican issue. There are Democrats who want this backdoor as well. So, Laura, it sounds like you want end-to-end encryption everywhere. Yes. But it's not necessarily because you have super secret conversations, right? No, of course not. It's it's just because I think we all have 
basic rights to privacy. Um, and I don't really want there to be a backdoor that nefarious parties can exploit, right? Like, do I necessarily think that I have anything in my communications that the government would be interested in? No. I mostly send like stupid cat memes to my boyfriend. <laughs> like, there's nothing that interesting there. But once that back door is open, it's a Pandora's box. And anybody who's skilled enough can exploit that. And that puts my data at risk. And it puts everyone's yeah. data at risk. So I'm very against opening that Pandora's box. I agree with Laura. And the other reason why is also because like, where does it end? You know, if we give up our privacy for this one thing, who's to say, you know, it's already just so bad. And it's, I, I don't know. I understand what they're trying to do, but I also just kind of feel like it's, it's not right. I mean, they already have access to so much, the government. We give access and give up our information to, to, to so much whenever we even sign up for different apps. So I, I just don't think that it's necessary. Yeah. But, but the thing is, is that, you know, Facebook has also been riddled in controversy surrounding parts of our data that they conveniently um, give up to third parties. So I, I don't know if I necessarily trust Facebook to have um, their users' best interests at heart either. Yeah. Okay. So I think we're all just kind I, of a little bit fucked, honestly. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because they have lost a lot of trust and I think they want to rebuild that trust and this would be an excellent way to do that offering people truly secure, a truly secure place to have a conversation with friends and family, making it not private wouldn't benefit Facebook in any way. So I want to draw our attention to a really famous uh, Benjamin Franklin quote, in which he said, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And that's how I feel about this. This perfectly encapsulates my feelings about the government having backdoors into our phones, our social media. Um, I I don't think that the over whatever overall benefit they might get from that would outweigh the total cost of losing our right to privacy. My feeling on this is very simple. If we have the right to have private conversations in our own home, then we have the right to have private conversations through our phones. Yeah. Although I will point out, most of us have smart TVs nowadays, which means that your conversations at home are not really private. Yeah, I was going to say, it's even your phones, right? They can technically yep. listen to you. And if you have yeah. like an Amazon Echo, that's always listening. Right. But people are like, uh, like what you just said, oh, people have Alexas and HomePods and now the Google smart speakers. I'm not doing that because I don't want people listening all the time. Your phone is a microphone and that's on you all the time. Yeah. I just can't with this argument that Alexas are the problem. No, it, it starts with your phone. Yeah. I mean, Alexas are part of the problem, right? <laughs> In light of this conversation, I wanted to mention a feature that Facebook has. So, of course, we all know Facebook Messenger. It's where we talk with friends and family. But they have an area of the inbox called the filtered messages section. And this is actually really fun to look at 
because these messages never appear in your main inbox. Facebook doesn't even notify you that you've received these, and they're also pretty buried. To access them, you have to bring up the full Facebook Messenger page, then you have to click the gear in the top left, then click message requests, then click filtered messages. So they're really buried. And like I said, Facebook does not tell you when you ever receive these. What's entertaining is you can get some really weird shit in here. Some might be bots, but others might be real people who have been trying to speak with you. And I wanted to see if we all found anything interesting in our inboxes. Laura, did you find anything? I found some stuff that read real ominous to me. And it was all old and it just said Facebook user because I assume these accounts are deleted. Mm-hmm. Um, one that I got said, goodbye party this Saturday starting at 2 p.m. Drinks will be provided, but feel free to bring what you want. Goodbye <laughs> party for what? Is this like an end of the Your world? life. Yeah, I know. It's like, are you going to murder me? Um, got another one that said, ladies, gentlemen, start your syllable counting. Yes, the time has come. <laughs> what? What? And finally, I love you, Laura. I love your show. (laughs) I read that and I was just like. (laughs) Was it a creepy looking man? No. Well, the account's deleted. So I have no idea who it was. Pam, did you see anything interesting? Yeah. The first uh, message I opened was, I guess, some guy's dick unless he, you know, Googled another one. So that was kind of jarring. At one o'clock in the morning. Um, And then a Facebook user said, Pamela, you might be related to my son because I guess she's been messaging um, everybody with the same last name. So that was kind of weird. And then there were a bunch of random Facebook users. I don't know who they were that just said, hi, how are you? So I think my creepiest one is somebody who saw me on a dating app and then stalked me on social media. Ew. This was from somebody named Felix in April 2017. Hello, handsome. I just saw you on Tinder in Atlanta and wanted to let you know that you, and by the way, just the letter U, have an adorable smile, smiley, smiley, would be happy to meet you, Prince Charming. (laughs) (gasps) How do you find somebody on Facebook after seeing them on Tinder? I didn't really think that was possible, Uh, especially because I don't live in Atlanta. It's it's also weird. Well, maybe if he had looked up because Tinder shows your name, but I don't think it shows your full name. Right. I think it, it would have been more believable if he had seen you out in L.A., if you were living in L.A. at the time. You know what I mean? Because then he could have right. just looked up Andrew L.A. Anyway, he spent some time to find me on Facebook. That's <laughs> pretty weird. This one from Tony, December 2015. You're a real a-hole. <laughs> That's it. That's the message. Oh, Tony has some feels. And then this one, Christian, July 2013. I've never met this person. He messages me out of the blue. Here, you're welcoming. Can my best friend and I live with you for a couple days starting on August 22nd and possibly help us find a place in West Hollywood? We will be lost Canadians. I'll bring you maple syrup and a moose stuffed animal. (laughs) What? (laughs) Wait. Who told you I was welcoming? (laughs) Because I'm not. But I also have to apologize because a bunch of listeners showed up in that inbox, yeah. including a few who I know still listen to the show. I'm sorry I never saw your messages. Maybe I should reply, but it's been years and I feel like so stupid replying to your messages now. Yeah. So I actually <laughs> found one from somebody who was like, 
Hey, Laura, I hope you can help me because I've been trying to message Andrew and he never gets back to me. <laughs> and I was like, because oh, your I'm message sorry. is filtered. I'm sorry. sorry. I'm so sorry. Facebook is not the best way to reach me. Yeah. Uh, if you want to reach out to any of us, the best way is millennialshow at gmail.com. If you write us there, we will get back to you. <laughs> or, or Twitter, honestly. Yep. At least that'll show up right away. But I do, I, I will say that I do feel like Facebook's filtering process is getting a little bit better because. You think so? Yeah. Especially like, like for example, like just with millennial listeners, um, if you're in the millennial Facebook group, I have noticed that even if like we're not direct Facebook friends, it'll still show up in my normal inbox or I'll get a push notification like so and so is trying to send you a message. So. Okay. So yeah, I think that as long as you have some kind of commonality, they'll push it over into your regular inbox. Yeah. So check your filtered messages, y'all. You might find some entertaining stuff in there. And sorry if you run into a dick pic. Yeah. Don't send those. That's like not cool in 2019 unless, you know, people ask. Right. Right. All right, y'all. Well, I have been thinking over the last few days about would you rather situations that might put us all on the spot on air. So I thought we could dive into this today. And I have a question for everybody. Would you rather completely forget past memories and only be able to make new memories or hold on to your past memories and not be able to make any new ones? I would rather completely forget past memories. (laughs) Really? Why is that? Like, just start... A new chapter in life. Reboot, so to speak. But that would mean that if you did this, theoretically, you'd forget everything. You'd wake up tomorrow morning in bed next to Pat and be like, who the Ah! fuck are you? (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) Well, yeah, that would be sad. And y'all would probably think that I'm suffering from dementia. But... Well, I guess how much would I... I mean, I'd still be a functioning human being, right? So I'd know how to drive a car and stuff. So I guess I would just be like, well, I don't know what I'm doing here in in Chicago. So bye. (laughs) And you wouldn't know that you own your property? Like, I don't know. I actually, for this reason, I, I feel the opposite way. I would rather hold on to all of my past memories and not be able to retain the new ones. But then your life is over. Is it? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean... every day just feels like a new opportunity. Yeah. It's like that 50 First Dates movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Eh. I'm with Laura, honestly, on this one. But I also just kind of feel like it would be less jarring to wake up every day um, and still have memories of your past. Yeah. I think I would be terrified if I just, like, woke up every day and I didn't know. Like, where I came from, who I was. Yeah. And I mean, I I suppose you'd know who you were because there'd be a cutoff, right? So, like, if this happened and you woke up tomorrow, your memories would start from zero at that point. Yeah, but that first day, that would be trippy. Right? And then just, like, going throughout your life not knowing why you react a certain way to certain things... Or like who certain or you'd people make are. the same mistakes again. Yeah. Or like, can you imagine your family, how it would feel for them if you're like, I don't know who you are? That'd be really sad. It would be. I feel like I, I choose this because I feel like holding on to my past memories is the least sad. Same. 
But then, like, if I go and hang out with you, Laura, and we have a great time, you won't remember it. Yeah, but we've hung out before and had great times, so I'd remember that. Yeah. We pretended to fly to Lexington, where all the gays Yeah. Travel. Oh, my God. In my head, we would still be 19 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Making dumb well, I guess choices. that's nice. Forever young. That's cool. I want to be forever young. That's obviously a very hard question, but I just love this idea of starting new. I love these books where people just reboot their lives, these memoirs, kind of like Wild Mm. by Cheryl Strayed, where she just kind of like, she goes on the Pacific Crest Trail and hikes the whole thing because she's looking for something new and she's looking to take a break from her life after a bunch of hardships. And I think that's really admirable. Yeah, I I feel like I can see why this appeals to you because you are somebody who does like to reboot. Like, I feel like you've done a couple of reboots in your life so far. Like, you moved to California. You were there for a long time. You decided you were done with it. You were like, okay, I'm going to Chicago now. (laughs) Deuces. Now I'm telling all of our listeners in the Bay letters (laughs) that I'm leaving again. Right. Right. (laughs) Going to go to the Southwest. Where do you think you'll go after that? Um, Northwest. I'm just going to hit all the corners of the country. Got you. Yeah. I want to hear what our listeners think. What would you rather do? Maybe we can make make it a poll on Instagram. There you go. Yeah. It's a great idea. All right. And we're going to continue doing those would you rather questions in the weeks ahead. Yes, definitely. There are some disturbing ones. Like there's one to give you a little preview that's like, would you rather cheat on your significant other or be cheated on by your significant other? Mm -hmm. And in answering that, I was like, oh, my God, this is like an existential crisis. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get to Surprise Bitch, we have a brand new sponsor, and I'm excited to tell you about them because I've been using them for years. Vistaprint. They are synonymous with business cards, in my opinion. You know I run a business full-time, and then I have a couple of side hustles. And when you do these types of things, you need a printing company who you can depend on to print great business cards. I always turn to Vistaprint because they offer excellent online tools to help create whatever you need for your business. Maybe you have your own business or a side hustle or you're aspiring to start something new of your own. Your next big opportunity is coming right now, and Vistaprint is here to help you own the now with free shipping on any business card in any quantity. Choose whatever style, finish, shape, or paper you like and get free shipping. And because you can pick the colors, fonts, designs, and images, it means you can create something as unique and compelling as your business. I recently created business cards for Hypable Impact. That's my podcast consulting business. It took maybe 15 minutes and it was quick and fun and I created some great cards. If you're ready to get started on your own business card, it's easy. Just plug your information and logo into hundreds of fresh designs tailored to your type of company or upload your own original layout. Then pick the paper stock style and quantity that's right for you. You can even upgrade to a unique touch like rounded corners. I did that. And then order and receive your cards with free economy shipping. As if you needed any more reasons to choose Vistaprint, you can feel good knowing that Vistaprint uses only carefully selected inks and responsibly sourced paper stocks. Your satisfaction is 100% guaranteed or your money back. They'll make it right. Vistaprint wants you to be able to own the now in any situation, which is why our listeners will get free shipping on all business cards, any style, any quantity. Just go to vistaprint.com and enter promo code M-I-L-L for free shipping on all business cards, any style, 
any quantity. This is a limited time offer. Own the now at vistaprint.com, promo code M-I-L-L. You support our show when you support our sponsors, so thank you. And have fun making your own business cards. It's time now for... Surprise! Surprise! Surprise, bitch! And today we are going to call Morgan. Hello? Hi, Morgan. Surprise, bitch. It's Millennial. Hi. Oh, my gosh. I have been waiting to hear those words for years. (laughs) (laughs) Today's the day. Today's the day. How are you? I am good. How are you guys doing? We're good. Just podcasting on a Sunday. Yeah. (laughs) Where do you live? I live in Boca Raton, Florida. Ooh, that sounds nice. Do you like it there? Yeah. It's it's okay. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's Florida. I like the weather and the beach and the animals. (laughs) Yeah. That's on the east side of the state. Did you get hit by any hurricanes this season? No, not lately. It just missed us, but we were all boarded up and prepared. Yeah. Had our hurricane snacks. Yeah. You got to be careful because Trump will get that Sharpie out and he'll just change the course of the hurricane. So, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I know. That was so, that was so ridiculous. <laughs> we have a would you rather question for you. Okay. Would you rather completely forget past memories and only be able to make new memories or hold on to your past memories and not be able to make any new ones? Oh, my gosh. Um, I guess completely erase my past memories and make new ones. (laughs) You answered how I did. Yeah, you and Andrew are the same person. Why do you say Uh, that, Morgan? Okay, so because then all the things that I used to love, I could just keep reliving. Like, I could relive them over again. Oh, okay. Like, I could be very in the moment. Everything could be new to me. Yeah, I answered yeah. differently. I said, I just, just give me that fresh start. I think that'd be super cool. Oh, yeah, that too. That mm-hmm. would be pretty neat. Laura and Pam are kind of yeah. sick. They want to they, they wanna <laughs> end their lives now by not making any new memories. Yeah. I just think I, that's so I sad. Know, that's, consider yeah. a sentimental, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did see the Joker movie, and I think popular opinion is that if I liked that movie, I must be a sick person. So makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen that yet, but I've I've heard all the mixed reviews. Are you going to go or do you think you'll avoid it? I'll probably go. Okay. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Another question for you. Are you someone who worries about their online messaging apps being monitored or That is a good question. To be honest, ever I think I've always just assumed that everything I'm doing online is always monitored ever. And that's probably not the best response. But I've just sort of assumed that everything's being read or seen mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i'm I very paranoid. right do you use any apps to have like super secret conversations or I, okay so i'm a psychologist so I, I do have an app that's uh like hipaa secure for patients and clients so i think that's what i would worry about mm. but then the people who have the app can see that so i don't know i guess i just sort of assume everything's public do you have a particular uh specialization So clinical psychology. So I like to see adults and young adults who deal with a lot of anxiety and perfectionism and stress. Oh. And relationship issues. I I think I need to come see you. I have a lot of anxiety. Yeah, I was just going to say that too. (laughs) I think we all need to come see Morgan. (laughs) 
writing your number know, down right? and I'll call you again help. after the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. good for you. That sounds like important work. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Well, well you guys you... are doing such important work. I love, like, I've been, I think I've been listening to you guys for 13 years now. I don't know, a long time. So, well, Dang. thank you so much. Yeah. If you've ever tried to uh, message us through Facebook Messenger and we didn't reply, it's probably because it went into our filtered messages section, which we were talking about earlier. So we apologize. <laughs> I've sent you emails. You guys okay. are awesome. That's a good way to make sure we notice. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for your support. We really appreciate it. It was so nice talking with you. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you for calling me. Absolutely. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I'm seriously going to start texting her. I think she's going to be my new therapist after this. <laughs> be like, are you on talk space? <laughs> Look, I'll pay you 65 a week. <laughs> <laughs> Time now for recommendations. How about you two go first? Because I, honest to God, don't have one. So I recommend checking out the Herman Holbrain model and taking their assessment if you're interested. Um, what's cool about this is it provides you with a more nuanced view of your communication and style preferences than just the typical, like, are you left-brained or right-brained stuff that you would find quizzes for online. And this is actually, like, based on data. So there is some some validity and reliability to this assessment. Um, I did this recently, and a lot of it really added up for me. And... Um, helped me to figure out some areas in which I know that I have some work to do in terms of getting more comfortable branching out into other, um, you know, communication styles and things like that. So definitely recommend that. Um, I wanted to recommend Trader Joe's if you're a big pumpkin spice fan, because it's almost overwhelming how much pumpkin spice flavored stuff that they're stocked up with right now for fall. Um, but specifically, I really love the Pumpkin O's cereal. That's like my favorite. It's like Cheerios, but pumpkin. Yes, but pumpkin. I want to recommend Pete Buttigieg's Shortest Way Home. It's his memoir released earlier this year. It's about his story becoming mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and also how the town has recovered from an economic standpoint. It's been a really good read so far. We've spoken previously about how Pete is a very well-spoken guy, very smart guy, and that really shines through in this book. He is actually a beautiful writer, and that was a pleasant surprise. So check it out. It's called The Shortest Way Home. I want to read it before he drops out of the race, which might unfortunately be inevitable at some point. So I want to read it while he's still relevant in this race. If you would like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. Write to millennialshow at gmail.com or use the contact form on millennialshow.com. Remember, we are hoping to do a confessional palooza next week. So send in your confessionals. You can do that anonymously by going to millennialshow.com and clicking on the confessional link at the top. And that'll be a lot of fun. Also, be sure to follow us on social media, Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. What are we doing on After Dark today? Well, we have a personal update from you that I'm really excited about. Something that is uh, not able to be on the main show. So it's going behind the paywall. And then we're going to be talking about the evolution of literature and what we used to like as a culture that is maybe out of date now or not in touch with where we are culturally, what that evolution looks like, and whether or not we agree with it. 
patrons can also listen to us record live every week. You'll also be eligible for Surprise Bitch. You will also be able to access The Landy Show, which is a bonus show that Laura and I record once a month for about 45 minutes. You also get access to Hashing It Out, our planning docs, our exclusive Discord group, and you have the chance to co-host Millennial. All the details about what benefits are at what pledge level are available at patreon.com slash millennial. And thank you to everybody who supports us. We really appreciate it. We truly could not do this without you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Goodbye. See ya.